Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We've got myself, Ron Hayes, uh, in, in a very warm Wyoming. Jason Loftus coming to us from Utah. How you doing, Jason? Doing good, doing good. It's a scorcher here as well. Mid-90s and climbing, so yeah. This wind, we, we have a bunch of wind today. It's supposed to be bringing the temperature back down, so I'm, I'm hopeful. But that might just be into the 80s. I'm not 100%. And then uh, Drew Hamilton coming to us from Canada. And Drew's got a busy household this evening. How you doing, Drew? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be hit, hitting mute when I hit the uh, when I hear the baby crying in the other room. But but it's a beautiful day here in Churchill. We topped out at a tropical 57 degrees. The river's full God. of beluga whales. <laughs> expecting some polar bears to start turning up here any day. So uh, yeah, it was a That's scorcher. Just, just about perfect on on all fronts, I think. Right. Well, the, the, it's starting to be bug season, though. Like last week, that 57 degrees felt super nice. And then uh, and then uh, and then this week, the bugs kind of kind of hit a little bit. So uh, oh, yeah, so we've all done. We've all donated a little blood to the cause this week, but uh, it's a small <laughs> price to pay. Perfect. And our guest this week is Rob Sylvan. Rob, I'm going to let you kind of discuss your background a little bit, but we wanted to bring Rob on. He's a specialist in workflow and uh, has worked with a lot of the programs that you and I use uh, to do our post-processing. But Rob's got a lot of background with, with different technology, different camera systems, that kind of thing. So Rob, welcome to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm super excited to, to be here and, and talk with you about workflow in general, but whatever else you want to talk about. And this could have happened live. I will say that, but I was off on a on a job, and Rob was was here doing a presentation in in Wyoming, like forty miles from where I live, and uh, so we just missed each other, but we were able to work it out on the podcast and and catch him. He's he's as busy as Mike. We'll say that, and we'll see if Mike picks that up when he's editing the podcast. But did you want to message him on his Zolio device? See how busy it is. Maybe he wants to uh, maybe he wants yet. to join in. He's uh, start, start dropping little nuggets for Mike to see if he picks up on them. <laughs> Rob, Mike is our, our fourth host and he's up filming in Alaska right now. So he's, uh, he's out of reach except for through the satellite device that, that sponsors us, Zolio. We can get him text back and forth, but if he's into something hot and heavy, we, his focus is elsewhere anyway. So yeah, sure. But so, Rob, just real quick or not real quick necessarily, but if you could give us a, a quick background, your photography background, but also how you kind of got involved with some of the organizations that you've worked with here recently. Yeah. So I um, I've, I've been really fortunate. Um, it's probably around when my son was born uh, and was crying in the background uh, back. He's, he's going to be 21 uh, this August. Uh, I picked up my first digital camera a nice little Kodak three megapixel thing thinking about baby pictures. And uh, I loved it. I got totally hooked on it and 
at the time I was working as a as an instructional designer uh, for a company that was developing um, what was at the time uh, expected to be a big thing. It was web based training, uh, <laughs> and they were coming from. Uh, CD-ROM based training, which was the previous big thing. And so it was really boring work, but it was interesting. Um, and when the, when the web was new and wild and we had all kinds of hopes for the future. And a lot of what we were doing was, what I was doing is, was these courses where I had to come up with visuals for these trainings uh, and describe them in great detail for whoever was doing the graphic work. Uh, we, we sourced a lot of imagery from stock media at the time, which was on a bound you'd get a big book and you'd go through the pages and you had cd-roms of uh, of the work and that was right when stock photography was and digital and dslrs were just on the horizon um and i got hooked into stock uh doing stock photography because i was spending a lot of time uh, trying to come up with finding these visuals myself and realized that hey we can we can actually create these so uh, that's kind of how I got into it. And then just being part of that, I started doing, a, I had been doing a lot of uh, Photoshop work because Lightroom didn't exist back then. And one thing led to another and I, I uh, got working as a uh, Photoshop help desk person for what was at the time, the National Association of Photoshop Professionals. Fast forward to now, it's now called Kelby One. Um, and I ended up becoming their Lightroom help desk specialist when Lightroom first released, when the, back when it was called Lightroom, um, not this Lightroom Classic as it's called now. And all along uh, its, its life, so that was in 2007, I, w I did all of the tech support for, for the entire Kelby um, you know, uh, subscriber base. So I got to, I got, I was really lucky to have that opportunity because I got exposed to so many different workflows from photographers who do all kinds of photography, whether it's just amateur stuff, just got a camera to uh, longtime amateurs who do uh, as good of work, if not better than anyone who would call themselves a professional, um, to people who all they do is professional photography. And it, it just exposed me to all these different ways of working that I never would have gotten on my own. I think from what I've seen from working with all these different people over the years is that as photographers, we have we have a kind of a tunnel vision of our workflow. It's like, we don't have time <laughs> except what, you know, little we have. So we want to get through that tunnel as quickly as possible. And, and that's good. The good part about that is you can get really efficient, but sometimes you miss all these other things that are right outside your peripheral that if you knew those things, maybe it could help you out, maybe make you a little faster. Um, and it's hard, you know, we have um, a muscle memory, you know, for when we're holding a camera, and anything that you get a new camera body, even if it's from the same manufacturer, there's something a little bit different. It's, you know, it gets you frustrated, you know. So we all we all kind of can uh, feel that viscerally. So it's the same thing in your workflow. Um, you have your muscle memory, your keyboard shortcuts, whatever you do, your actions, or whatever their things are, uh, and that's all good. Don't don't not do those things. But um, seeing how there's lots of there's lots of right ways to do things. I think uh, depending on your the way you think, the way you work, um, and, and your final results. Uh, maybe we have different standards. Uh, we have different uh, customers or clients. Maybe sometimes we're that client. Um, so there's lots of different ways. So it's, uh, it was really, um, really wonderful for me to get, to get to help so many folks over the years 
of doing that. And that just put me in touch with lots of other um, uh, people in the industry. And I've um, gotten to work with, uh, with them and teach, you know, for Adobe at different trade show events and um, work with them on some in-app tutorials as well and uh, things like that. Um, all the way up until now, uh, in this last year, I started working uh, actually uh, as a as a tech rep for Canon, um, supporting um, local dealers here in New England. So I'm in New Hampshire. Uh, temperature somewhere between um, Drew and and you guys out <laughs> west. <laughs> We're not quite as cool, uh, but it was actually a lovely uh, upper 70s, low 80s kind of day here today. Uh, but yeah, so I got to work uh, all over the place. Uh, and New England is kind of my home base for that, for my, for my day job. Um, but I still do a lot of, uh, Lightroom Photoshop, uh, things, uh, in, in my time. So, and that's why I'm here. So hopefully that was short, but also thorough. <laughs> yeah, no, it's perfect. I, we get questions all the time about workflow and again, you know, people are at, at different levels and at different levels of demand basically on, on themselves, just as you kind of alluded to. So we have some that will spend, you know, up to, I think the longest that we've heard, you know, three, four hours on a photo before they would consider it finished. And then we've got others like uh, Mike and, and pretty close to myself, where if I spend, you know, five minutes on an image, it, it's taken too much time, you know, unless it's going to be a, a fine art piece. And, and I'm going to tell people that. So as you're looking at workflow, you, you said you've seen everybody um, at, at all those levels. And that's how you kind of develop your, your workflow, being able to communicate with different, different folks. Where or why did you settle where you did? And, and then go ahead and give us a, just a snapshot, and then we'll talk about some of the fine-tuned things but kind of a snapshot of your workflow. I use uh, Lightroom Classic as kind of my home base um, for, for managing all my ingestion of my photography, managing it over time. Certainly, you know, the selection culling section is all onto editing. Um, and then most people who use Adobe products in the photography realm have what's called the photography plan. So that includes Lightroom Classic and Photoshop, and they work really well together. Uh, and pretty much can tackle any general task you might have or specific task you might have in that realm. Now, there are specialized tools, third-party soft editing tools that are phenomenal and um, where Photoshop is definitely more of a, you know, kind of a jack of all trades uh, when it comes to photo editing. Um, if you want to do something maybe really specific like uh, noise reduction, you know, there's some great tools out there that that's like, that's their number one job. And so maybe if that's really important to you, you might incorporate one of those tools in conjunction with, um, your Lightroom classic and, and or Photoshop. And <clears throat> the reason why I love Lightroom classic in terms of workflow is that that's what it was designed for. So when I was doing Photoshop help desk, it was Photoshop bridge and the camera raw plugin. If you were a digital photographer using Adobe products, and while they still exist, um, you know, evolved since then, but they all still, all those programs still exist. They weren't, they weren't developed specifically with a digital photography workflow in mind. And so it was a little inefficient. Um, you can get the job done. Uh, and if time wasn't an important factor for you, uh, it still does get all the jobs done. Um, there are some people who just like that workflow too, and that's fine. Uh, I work with those folks too. 
but Lightroom Classic, as it's called now, um, has a modular approach to a workflow, and it has a lot of um, efficiencies built into that. So whether it's the ingestion slash import phase, there are certain things you can do uh, at that stage that hopefully will save you time over a long workflow over years and years of time. Um, and the same as you move through, as you each step, as you move through that workflow, there are, um, it's designed to kind of help you move that photography of yours uh, all the way through to output and covers a lot of different output opportunities, even though Lightroom Classic as it exists now, not as many people use the web module because it's, it's, it's kind of frozen in time, <laughs> another time, not necessarily this current time. But when it comes to just managing your, your workflow, your library um, and output, uh, editing and output, uh, it, it does those jobs, I think, really well. And if you need Photoshop for a specific task, uh, you can jump in there pretty seamlessly uh, and, and then do whatever you need to do there and jump back out. Now, I've added into that the uh, Lightroom cloud just to differentiate uh back in 2017 adobe kind of threw a confusion wrench into all of our brains um, by taking an existing product that was called lightroom and then renaming it to lightroom classic and then having a new product that was now called lightroom and so we all are still scratching our heads about that um <laughs> the cool thing about the lightroom cloud app is that it was originally designed as a way to extend your catalog from your computer uh, into your mobile device. And back then it was just called Lightroom Mobile. And all the functionality that existed in that app then still exists now. And so if you are a Lightroom Classic user and you find it useful to have thousands of images synced from your Lightroom Classic catalog to your mobile devices, whether it's a phone, a tablet, a laptop, whatever, whatever that other device might be, it's really handy and really useful. You can also use it as an ingestion point from the field. Uh, and so you could be out anywhere and import photos directly into your mobile device, your phone, your tablet, another laptop, maybe just a Chromebook. Do some basic uh, culling and uh, selection process and even editing and have all that information and all the full res photos sync down your Lightroom Classic catalog. I use that all the time. I use it also to get my <clears throat> any photos I take with my phone um, into my Lightroom Classic catalog, which is kind of like where everything everything comes. Whatever capture device captured it, whether it's my trail camera, a drone, mobile phone, DSLR, mirrorless, point and shoot, whatever. I don't care what it, what camera was used. It all comes into my Lightroom Classic catalog. Um, that way I can access it and organize it and manage it and do whatever I'm going to do with it. Uh, and that goes for video too. I'm not a big, big video person, uh, but I do either from my trail camera, that's probably the most videos I have these days, but you know, you get little bits and things like that. And, uh, uh, and I, I just want to keep it all, keep it all someplace. So, so I have that as part of the workflow too. And um, you can get in the weeds quickly with that uh, Lightroom cloud app. And I, so I, I try to caution people about that. So, um, but once you fine tune, if you're going to use it, how you use it, uh, I, I love it. I couldn't imagine not having it uh, as part of my workflow. So that's kind of the big picture of it. Uh, and then, you know, if you want to look at specific things, I can 
uh, you know, share my screen and, and jump in and show you some things. Probably easier than than talking about it, but I can talk about it while I show it to you too. So, you one question that I want to ask real quick is: we we have a lot of people that talk to us about um, Adobe Camera Raw versus Lightroom. They do the same things, somewhat, and they always ask, you know, why do you use Lightroom rather than Adobe Camera Raw? My answer is always, well, because it's it's better. <laughs> it's more thorough, but that's not, uh, that's not, shall we say the scientific correct answer. Um, but I, you know, I, I always talk to people about cataloging and, and keywording your images and all that kind of thing. And that being the advantage to taking it directly into Lightroom versus Adobe Camera Raw or, or even Bridge. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Why you don't use that as part of your workflow? It's a great question, and it's a really um, it, it's one that's been around since Lightroom was was created. And so, and you 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 kind of spoke to the core of it, which is Lightroom Classic uses a database as its brain to help you in that management process over time. And Bridge Camera Raw Photoshop do not, and that is both a benefit and a disadvantage uh, depending on your needs and your workflow. So. The benefit of the catalog system is that, or one benefit I should say, is that over time, the more data you add into a database, the more useful it becomes. And so you could look at a database of images spanning a decade or more and very quickly see what focal length you use the most, what shutter speed you use the most, what combination of shutter speed, camera, lens, distance, location, all these, all these data points. If you, if you were that type of person, you can leverage that, not even mentioning keywords, color labels, flags, all that kind of information. Um, you can put all of that into this database and use that to your advantage and to find out information about. So if you, one practical way is you're looking at a new lens and you're looking like, damn, I've got such and such a lens. I got 7,200. Now, really, could I use that? 400, you know, whatever the thing is, you can look and see what what are you shooting with most? You know, what, what focal length do you go to, do you reach for even amongst what, whatever lenses you have? Uh, that database can show you that. So there's a lot of good parts of that. Another advantage of the database model is that for most folks, they have the Lightroom Classic catalog sto stored on their internal hard drive. And you probably have all of your photos or most of your photos stored on one or more external or networked drives because we take a lot of pictures and they fill up drives real fast. <clears throat> so that catalog exists on your internal drive. You can have as many other drives connected that store your actual photos. They don't even have to be connected and you can open that database and actually access information about them, depending on how you have things set up, even do some edits while those photos are offline. So that's another advantage. And then there's the other advantage, which I just mentioned you know, before, is if you wish, you can also then sync that catalog to the cloud-based version and now extend that catalog of information uh, onto your other devices. And so it just gives you the ability to touch your photos no matter where they're stored from whatever device you're on uh, if, if you want to go all the way there. The, the Bridge Camera Raw plugin and Photoshop combo are just as powerful when it comes to mm -hmm. editing. Uh, and you can apply keywords and, and color labels and things like that in Bridge, um, but there's no database involved. And so a Bridge is basically a file browser, just like uh, your file browser on your operating system, Windows or Mac. 
it's like uh, a vial browser, you know, can walk into a room and tell you everything that's in the room. As soon as it walks out of the room, it has no memory of that room. It is only in the hallway. It can tell you everything in the hallway. And so that's kind of how Bridge works. You know, it, it can show you what's in the folder that you're looking at at that time. Lightroom Classic, because of that database, I can have uh, collections, as they're called in there, which are like virtual folders that can contain photos from any time and date, any folder. Uh, however, I have my folder structure organized, does not matter. I can put photos um, either uh, using a manual collection where I just manually drag and drop them and put them. In. Right, these are my best photos and put them in this special collection. Or I can use basically what's called a, it's called a smart collection, but it's think of it as a saved search where I leverage that database and say, okay, all photos that are four star and above that are, uh, have a, have a, uh, you know, certain orientation or file type or whatever other bits of data that are important to me. Um, maybe it's location, GPS information, whatever those things are, you can put that in that smart collection and those photos just automatically show up regardless of where they're stored. And so now you're leveraging again, that database. So that's kind of the key difference is, is really about management uh, of your library over time. Um, if you don't use a database, you just have to use some other system, right? And that system is probably a, a very well-organized folder structure. That works. That totally can work. Um, it just puts it on you to be that manager of your folder structure so that when you're looking for a photo or collection of photos, you know exactly where to find them based on your organizational structure. And, of course, you can use an organizational structure with Lightroom Classic, too. And you've got a double benefit there. Um, but that's hopefully that may, hopefully that answer. Well, I know, right. I, I know it's a better answer than because it's better. I do know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a longer, it's a longer answer. I don't know if it's better, but simply it's a longer. Answer. Go ahead. Drew. Yeah. So, well, so I've just been kind of just knowing that you were going to be on here this week has kind of got me thinking back to like the, uh, the history of, of, Lightroom and things like that. When I started using it, and there were there were definitely uh, uh, we'll call them revolutionary moments where there'd be some new feature or some new uh, uh, program come out that were really game changers. And so I was wondering what you, looking back at the history of these these products and this this type of thing, like what have been the game changers up to this point, and then where is this going? Like what? What are these systems we're, we're using now? What are they going to look like in like, well, things have been moving so fast, maybe next month or like five years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, looking back historically, I think moving from that, everything's organized in a folder structure or it's completely disorganized to using this database. That was a big shift and and still one that trips people up because it's not intuitive. It's not intuitive. That's a that's a downside of Lightroom Classic is that management's uh, aspect of Lightroom Classic is not intuitive. Editing, super intuitive. What you see, move a slider is what you get. When it comes to managing, finding your files where they are, that that is that's ninety percent of what I help people with is is the file management side. Um, so it has the that was a big uh, game changing moment. I think over the years, Adobe has continually evolved um, the what they call the process version. Um, basically the, the way that Adobe looks at the data. Now, I'll just say, you know, it's ideally Lightroom Classic is designed as is camera raw around shooting a, a, a raw workflow. It does support other file types, 
uh, without getting too far in the weeds on that. So yes, JPEG, TIFF, PSD, PNG, some video format, you know, those are, those are supported, but you get the most bang for your buck with the raw workflow. And so that's kind of where uh, Lightroom Classic and Camera Raw had that same engine under the hood is for um, taking that raw data that our camera creates and saying, okay, let's render the tonality and color um, based on our, our math, uh, you know, and so that's the process version. And that process version in Camera Raw, Lightroom Classic and the Lightroom Cloud version is the same, same engine uses, you know, if you edit an image in any one of those three Adobe products, you're using basically the same sliders. Sometimes they play with the names between the programs just to confuse us. But, but the math is all the same under the hood. And so that process version has continually improved. So a practical example is, you know, my first DSLR was a Nikon D70, which was a six megapixel camera. I was so excited about having all of that resolution and shooting that in RAW. But, you know, you wouldn't shoot that at, say, 1400 ISO because it was so noisy that it was not usable. At the time, at the software at the time, just couldn't do a great job. But as that process version evolved in Lightroom Classic, I could go back to images shot with that camera. And it's like I got a new camera because now it's a, but much better able to uh, pull out that detail uh, and, and kind of deal with the noise reduction in a way that doesn't degrade, just degrade the detail as a way of reducing noise by just blurring all, smearing all the edges, right? So that's, I think, has been a continual uh, game-changing improvement in, in basically giving us, you know, go back and, and to your old images and give them a new life. Um, or maybe get more latitude at higher ISOs or would lower light, whatever you're shooting um, as that, as that raw engine continues to improve. And then another big one is certainly the local adjustment tool. So both Camera Raw and Lightroom Classic as it has evolved, basically was focused on those global edits, the, the white balance, the you know tonal changes. Um, we could do a tone curve, those kind of things that affect all the pixels and the entire image, you know, regardless, even if it, we're uh, making an adjustment to the reds, it's all the reds, you know, all the blues, you know, over the, the entirety of the photo. But as the local adjustments or selective adjustments, or now it's called masking, have continued to evolve, we have the ability to make those same global adjustments we had before. But now we can actually stay in Lightroom Classic and address issues with the sky separate from the foreground or the foreground separate from the sky or the subject separate from the background or... Um, tonal value of, you know, the brightest tonal values versus uh, separate from the dark and so on and so on. We have all of these great tools. And now the next big game changer is we're seeing this um, artificial intelligence integration into these products where um, it's not like it's getting smarter as we use it, but more that um, the, the branch of artificial intelligence that's called machine learning where they can train this algorithm to um, recognize, so we see it in our cameras now, recognize a subject and say, oh, that's a bird. That's a bird's eyeball. I'm going to put a focus right on that eyeball. And as long as you press your shutter down, it's going to lock focus on that bird's eye. That's machine learning technology in our cameras. Well, we're seeing that in uh, our software development as well. So we could say, oh, click the select subject button and it's going to figure out there's a subject in there and it might be a person and obvious or an animal that's obvious, but it could be just something that's really in focus versus the background. And maybe that's the subject. 
um, or the sky is the, the two big AI features in, in Lightroom Classic and Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw <clears throat> for masking. So I think we're going to continually see that type of machine learning, artificial intelligence. Uh, we see that in other third-party products. Now I say third-party just meaning non-Adobe, but I wasn't speaking about Lightroom Classic. They would just I would just say Topaz or um, Boris Effect. So whatever these other products are that integrate uh, their own artificial intelligence into noise reduction or sharpening or um, image enlargement, um, interpolation. What what those products can do now using those um, advanced tools is just mind blowing. I mean, when I talk to people about cameras, I don't even talk about megapixels anymore because it really doesn't matter. I mean, yes, you can make an argument that it matters in certain situations, but I mean, in general, whether you got 20 or 24 or, you know, 45, okay, you can make it, you can make a, a good case for having 45 for cropping, but you know what I mean? There's, you can do a lot with 20. If I could do a lot with six, <laughs> you could do a lot with 20 <laughs> and you're going to always crop that down to that little brown bird or whatever you just shot. And now you've took that 20 down to 10 and you can blow that up using these tools uh, back to 20 and Nobody on Instagram is going to know, <laughs> you know, whatever, wherever you, or, you know, if you're printing that up as a giant billboard, yeah, you, you, you probably still going to look fantastic. I mean, the, just where these tools are going in that direction, um, it, it just takes the megapixel wars. That's us all over. That's all behind us. Uh, don't, don't worry about that so much. And I think the same thing is, is going to happen to ISO. You know, we're, I, I, I had a chance to shoot with the, Canon's RF 800 F11 mm-hmm. lens, and I put it on an R6, a Canon R6. Canon R6 sensor is amazing. You know, it's the same sensor that's in the 1DX Mark III. It's just a fabulous um, low light, high ISO sensor. Well, I put it on that camera, and I was like, okay, I got to use this. So I live in, I live pretty much rurally here in New Hampshire, all woods, acres and acres of woods around me. And I, right around, right around sunset a couple months ago, I let my dogs out and there was a barred owl right in my yard. I was like, Oh cool. I got to go. So I go grab the 800 and I come out. The sun had just set. So I flip on auto ISO, let it all go all the way up to 102,000. Just let it go. I just want to test this lens out. I had shutter speed at one one thousand of a second. I'm hand holding an 800 millimeter lens that only does F11. I'm thinking this is going to be garbage. (laughs) Who would ever think to go shoot? Handheld 800 millimeter lens at f11 after sun, after the sun went down. You don't do that. That's that's crazy. But anyway, the owl goes back further into the woods. So I'm like, all right. So I go off with it. And I'm just walking with this 800 lens into the woods. I find it. Subject detection locks on. I shoot this thing at 102,000 ISO. Yeah, it was a little noisy, but it cleaned up great. I could not believe it. And then <laughs> once I turned to go. And I almost walk into another owl that was sitting in another tree and, you know, the light level's going so low, I couldn't really see. It was all these branches in the way. So I just flipped off the autofocus on the lens and use focus peaking. All of a sudden I see the outline of the owl on the branch and I'm shooting. I can't even see the owl. I'm just seeing the outline in focus peaking and it, and it nailed it. I was like, man, these tools have just changed the way, we can shoot. I never, never would have done that. Never would have done that. And yeah, is it like, you know, the best image ever? No, it's not. It's 102,000 ISO, but still, you know, I could show it to you and you would go, that's 102,000. And I would say, yes, it, yes, it was. Uh, 
so so that kind of AI um, for both detecting the subject and locking on and then cleaning up the image if it needs it afterwards, I mean, it's, it's totally changing the way that I think about shooting. Um, and I think about when in terms of workflow is if you know, as you know your tools and you know what they're capable of, you shoot differently because mm -hmm. you might think, yeah, maybe I can get something useful here, even though the light's not perfect, it's cloudy, it's raining, it's later than I thought or whatever it is, maybe you can get the shot after all. And maybe it's a shot you never would have gotten otherwise uh, because you, you knew you could do whatever you needed to do later down That's the road. That's awesome. So we have about five years before before Lightroom <laughs> goes full on like Skynet, uh, ter Terminator yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So start stocking up on canned right. peaches and uh, to stay at home. There we go. <laughs> it's good to stock up on canned peaches anyway, even if the world doesn't end. You know, so that's, you can't, you can't go wrong. I was recently shooting some owls, same, similar kind of situation. And I was, you know, I'm, I have the R5 and shooting those owls, it got really light. You know, owls just don't come out until it's dark, unfortunately, in most cases. So this, this beautiful uh, mama screech owl, Western screech owl came out on a branch completely unobstructed. And I was shooting her at 6,400 ISO at one 60th of a second with my 600 millimeter lens, you know, at F4. And actually, I even wow. cranked my aperture up to F8 because I was so close. I couldn't get all of her in focus with, you know, at F4. Anyways, and uh, just was blown away by, I would never have wasted, quote unquote, wasted my time before. And with the tools we have out, like you said, it's just another confirmation that a totally usable photo cleaned up beautifully. Even the owl, the detail in the owl was incredible at that high of ISO. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it is game changer stuff. It, it keeps us in the field longer, and we got to change the way we think about things. And a matter of fact, we've talked about it before, but it really makes you frustrated because, man, I've thrown a lot of images over away over the years that I should have just held on to because I probably could have went back and used them. You know, no, it's just that that thinking. Like, you know, it's like we look at images right after the shoot, and we're so emotionally invested in them, we may sometimes make decisions that. If we just taken some time away, you know, might have had less connection emotionally to it, and maybe like, yeah, okay, all right, maybe I'll just, I'll just flag you differently and come back and visit you a little bit later on down the road. Um, but at the same time, you know, you got to cut, mm -hmm. you got to some stuff's got to <laughs> go, right? We can't keep it all. Uh, hard drives are cheaper, but still, it's still money, right? We don't need to just. We don't right. need to save everything. Uh, and maybe that makes us go out and shoot and make some more, you yep. know, make some new stuff. So. Oh, not too much, no. But there's a there's two or three images that I really wish I'd have held on to. But yeah, anyways. Being nature and wildlife photographers, we all end up off the grid at some point. And we just picked up a new sponsor here at Wildland Exposed. It's Zolio, and they offer a satellite texting device. It's a reasonable cost and the service is pretty reasonable and you can buy different plans. The three plans that they offer is they have a $20 plan that basically gives you 25 messages through the course of a month. They also have a medium range plan which is 250 messages for $35 a month. And lastly, they have the unlimited plan which is what I use. It's $50 and, and unlimited messages. Ron, Jason and myself have been using it for about a month. Actually, I've been using it for almost a year now and it's been very helpful because I end up shooting in places off the grid a lot. And it's just nice to be able to contact family and just let them know, hey, I'm okay, shoot's going well, 
having a good time. See you soon. One of the best things about this device is it has an SOS feature. So if you get into trouble and you are off the grid, you can still reach help. It's super simple to use. You basically just use an app on your phone which connects to the Zolio device. And at that point, it's really just like text messaging, only you're doing it through the Zolio app. It's two-way, so you can send a message out and somebody can send a message back. To learn more about the Zolio device, go to our website, click on the sponsors link, which is at wildandexposed.com. At the top, you'll see sponsors. Click on that. You will see a link that goes right to the Zolio website to learn more. And then you can also check out the partner deals that we have. We have an affiliate program with them, which we will get a percentage of every sale of every device. So you can buy that right from that link on that page. And then also when you set up service on the device, they will waive the $20 activation fee if you use a code when you set up your device. And that code is wild exposed, W-I-L-D-E-X-P-O-S-E-D. -E so when you set up your device, you enter that code, the $20 activation fee is waived and you'll be on your way. So Rob, talking about the, the artificial intelligence, Lightroom Classic had a basically luminosity masking feature before, before they went into the new uh, masking feature and subject selection and all that. The luminosity portion of it, if you go in, select for luminosity, go select whatever color or shade you're looking at, that seems to have kind of taken some steps backwards. Is that just a product of, is that just a product of the machine learning not catching up to the new system? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, so. Prior to the masking, as it's called now, uh, we had the graduated filter, um, the mm. the radial filter, and the brush. Right, those were our our masking tools, and then within one of those often we probably use it with a with a graduated right. filter although now it's called the linear filter <laughs> you know what i mean uh and or the radial filter you would put one of those out first and then within range that masking, you could yeah. use what was then called range mask to further refine in the area you wanted to affect uh based on luminosity or color and uh or depth but that's a whole nother question because that's really just limited to shooting with an iphone that has the depth map you know depth map i can't ever say that with sound like i'm saying death map i'm not saying death map depth wild and exposed podcast um, does not advocate the so, use of death maps for and, any reason no okay <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh, yeah let's be clear with the lawyers uh so yeah so you could uh in that capacity I think it worked really well um, to, you know, hone in on some part of the sky or mm -hmm. subject or whatever based on color or luminosity. With the new masking, you can just say luminosity only and just start with selecting all the, you know, tonal values of a certain range. I think the the challenge there is again. This is my experience, not with like some brain dump from some Adobe engineer about why it works differently. But um, I think that, you know, when you're looking at a scene and there's some whatever range of tones, you know, might be in there when you're selecting mm -hmm. like the, the shadows, you know, something like, okay, the shadows, well, there's a lot of, well, what do you mean by shadows? And then there's the fall off, you know, as it gets brighter into the mid tones and, and so on, that transition 
is the, I think the hard part of it. So when you're selecting um, the shadow, say, and you want a smooth transition into the next level of brightness where you're making your adjustment versus not adjustment, I think that's where it's tricky. Um, and that might be a function of the data that is captured uh, as well as the, the way that the, the slider that tool works. So there's the range that you're selecting mm -hmm. and then there's the fall off part of, of either end of that depending on what you're doing. And that's that's where you've got to be really careful is in that fade, that fall off of what, what range of tones you're selecting. So I think it I think it can work in, in some situations really well, but I I don't know. I think when when it existed as a range mask, I probably didn't use it as right. much. Yeah. Now it's very front and center. Um, and you're like, oh yeah, let me just grab that sucker. And it I don't think it meets the expectations the same way that Mm -hmm. select sky and boom oh my god the sky selected and it does a great job um or your subject um i think with the radial the linear and the brush those are all very like you know you just manually throwing that on there so no surprises um color i think you know has that same limitation is that well you're selecting the reds but mm -hmm. there's a lot of shades you know that might be also affected and so getting that smooth transition is really the the finessing part of, of that operation. And that that can be yeah. that can be challenging. See another much better description that, than I could have given <laughs> or have given myself. But <laughs> <laughs> well Ron does love his are, luminance. And you yeah, used to have to I mean, go to Photoshop for sure. And use a third well, you use third party plug-in menu to make it easier, but you didn't have to do that, but you used to have to go to Photoshop to be able to do it. Well, then they put the range masking in, which was, again, it was a game changer because it saved a, it saved a step, you know, going back and forth. And now that they've done the subject selection or yeah. the, the new brush features, basically, I can't just call it subject selection, but the masking tools that we now have, it seems like there's probably some catching up to do or, or maybe some steps backwards. But, yeah, the, the fine-tuning portion makes sense and i apologize for those of you that are just in this for the wildlife i'm totally nerding out right now but we've got the right guy <laughs> we did we did we did we didn't mention <laughs> owls we mentioned we've got owls. the right guy on tonight to ask all these technical <laughs> questions through. you know you 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 get, you get so many people asking about wildlife and this you know this is a wild and exposed podcast but you know this is the kind of stuff that takes good photography to great photography and like if you're um, if you're at a level in your photography and you're just, you know, not progressing like you like, or, um, you know, a lot of those hurdles can be overcome by watching some tutorials, digging a little deeper into the, the processing. And that's, you know, people, people focus on so much how to take your photography to the next level in the field when frankly, this is the stuff mm -hmm. that they should be listening to. It's just my, my two cents on it, but you know, a little bit of editing goes a long way. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. And I, obviously, you got to get out in the field to ca to create the images. So right. that's an important step. <laughs> you got to get your butt <laughs> away from the computer and, and out there. And that's my problem these days is getting my butt out there. But um, but yeah, I mean, and, and the more that you look at your workflow as a as a complete, you know, process of thinking about before you go planning, you know, doing all that pre shoot stuff is so important. And then yeah, showing up and getting it done. But also when you're shooting, knowing, thinking about your work, your processing workflow, knowing your limitations, your capabilities, um, knowing that, you know, maybe 
you're looking at a landscape and the focal length you have isn't wide enough. Well, you know, you can make a pano and you could stitch it and it'll be a raw file. And you got now a DNG file. That's a pano or an HDR pano because the contrast was so high, you know, so you're just thinking about those things uh, while you're out there knowing uh, when you come back, now you've got thousand images, whatever you've got, and you've got to, you got to call those, you got to get through it. And so you're just thinking about all of that. Maybe on the way you're, you're using some of these tools to uh, speed things up. So when you get home, you've already partially ingested or, you know, done some culling or whatever, whatever your workflow is there. So that um, when you're ready to sit down, you, you're, you're moving, you're already moved further down the, down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're also thinking about your output, right? Cause you always have to have that in your mind, uh, your output for now, uh, but also think about in the future, right? So you don't want to do things that um, would prevent you from other possible out, you know, output opportunities. Uh, so something like, you know, Lightroom and Camera Raw, you know, the nice thing about those is they're both non-destructive metadata type editors. So you're, you can always undo or redo or uh, benefit Lightroom Classic that isn't in uh, Bridge uh, Camera Raw workflow is you can make virtual copies. So you might try a few different uh, paths for certain editing uh, look and feel as you're trying to develop your own look and feel and, and you can take advantage of that. So it's just like, you know, having that whole picture when you're out there waiting for the light to change or the animal to show up or to do something interesting, like wake up or whatever it is you're waiting for. Um, you know, you could be thinking about all those, all those pieces or just, Hey, enjoying yourself. It's because it's your life that's passing by when you're standing behind the camera too. So um, you want to, you want to appreciate all the, that parts of it. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, find that balance. <laughs> it warms my heart to hear you talk about photo stitching because if I, I think back to like the very first time yeah, you did that I was blog. on the wild exposed yeah. podcast, I think I even wrote up a, like a blog post on how to use photo stitching in wildlife photography. And here, like, I'm not, I guess I'm not nuts. I'm not the only one. We have it from the man himself. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. You know, it, you know, just knowing that you can do that. I, I was in uh, a few years back in Yosemite and we were doing some macro, you know, it was like a frosty November morning and there's all these frosted leaves along the river and just beautiful looking down instead of looking up types of photography. And I had a 105 lens on my camera and was happily doing that. But we walked into a field and all of a sudden there was Half Dome. It was just beautiful. It was a beautiful morning and Half Dome is just right there. And this field just opened up. All the rest of my gear was back, you know, in the van. All I had on me was the was the 100 millimeter lens. And I thought, well, I can just panel this sucker. And so I just handheld and just shot about 30 frames of like, four rows like a machine gun i'm just imagining i was creating a big rectangle uh that covered that field of view that i wanted and i threw that all through all 30 of them into lightroom classics pano stitcher and boom i got this 100 megapixel like raw image that when you <laughs> zoom in on it you could see if somebody was climbing i mean it was like all of a sudden you're right there if i had a wide yeah. angle lens i would have went and then snap. you you wouldn't have been yeah. as happy with the Done. compression of the image. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, uh, you know, doing using those tools uh, to create, you know, things that you couldn't do just with, uh, you know, one shot alone uh, is really powerful. Uh, so, yeah, very cool. 
just for the audience, you need to go back and listen to that first episode with Drew. And I saw his eyes light up as soon as you started talking about stitching. So I knew where that was headed. Drew has an amazing <laughs> shot of a, I can't remember if it was a brown bear or a polar bear wiener dog cross, just really long body. As, as he was given to some of the, <laughs> As he was giving us some yeah, of the demonstrations of what could parent. go wrong with stitching, but also it, what could go right, give you an right. end product you couldn't get normally. But yeah, that was the first yeah. thing that popped in my mind. I had to have a little chuckle for a second yeah. to myself. Yeah. Well, and actually, I just sold, I don't sell a lot of prints, but I just sold one this week. Um, that's actually my most successful retail print, but it was a, a sleeping mm -hmm. polar bear that I stitched like seven or eight shots. Mm -hmm together and i remember i was i was hanging out with brad josephs at the time and he was like oh nobody's gonna buy that <laughs> and then, like sure enough you can't you, you can never tell what some people will buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't think they're listening to this <laughs> anyway so so rob you you've heard all these different uh workflows from all these different people and you've seen all these things are there things you can tell about a person by their workflow like you, you they'll they'll tell you what they're doing and you're like oh man they've got a lot of cats or like or something like that what are the red flags you pick yeah. up on on people's workflow that you might not want to hang out with that person the psychology <laughs> of workflow uh well totally right, <laughs> right? well I think the one you know universal part is um, is that we're, none of us is as organized as we want to be, um, and, and that that is that is true. So we beat ourselves up on that point a lot. We always think we have to clean up this mess, which is just a perpetual state of being. Uh, so you just need to have some grace with with yourself on that front because everyone is in that same boat. But you know there are people. Um, I wouldn't say I would want to, <laughs> want to, you know, pathologize anyone, but you know, there there are different ways that our brains are wired uh, to to think about organization, um, and some people like to overthink it, I think, uh, and can get stuck, um, kind of jamming themselves up overthinking the, those those pieces, um, and so I wouldn't say I would want to hang out <laughs> with them. Uh, you might want to want to order a pizza with them, uh, but you know there's there, there's there's room for all of us uh, at the Lightroom table, uh, and, and and you know and, and it's a growth process, right? You, you just don't know when you talk to someone where they're at in this journey, and and we probably all have been at at you know, different points, and will be, you know, I, you know, my myself included uh, was not born with with any of this information, so. Uh, yeah, so I stumble along just like everyone else. I just have the benefit of mm. learning from everyone else's mistakes, you know, uh, oftentimes. And so that's where I try to share, um, you know, so I write for Lightroom Killer Tips is a blog. It's totally free. I um, Actually, today I have a blog post. <laughs> I've got to get up uh, before <laughs> the clock strikes 12 uh, here at East Coast. So, um, so I write... Uh, you know, every week and, and, and everything that I put on there and I've got, I don't know, 200 plus posts on there now, uh, usually is the kernel of it is someone else's trouble, um, that I'm trying to help other people avoid, uh, because we all, you know, walk that same path at some point and, and can stumble. And so, 
um, you know, having that information hopefully ahead of time will will save you from that stumble and uh, or maybe just not a stumble, but just like, hey, you know, if you do this every time, you've just saved yourself five clicks and five clicks times a thousand is a lot of clicks, you know, and you multiply that over a course of your workflow and you've just given yourself back time that you can go out and create more images or spend time with your family or take a nap or whatever it is that you need to do uh rock your baby you know whatever it is you know you've got you only got so many hours in a day and um you don't need to spend them all just clicking sliders and uh and check boxes so you can you can get on with other things so we've established two things there in that that question that drew asked you is there are people that you would buy a pizza with, but you're not going to let them cut it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then secondly, yeah. Rob has a lot of blog posts that start with, well, I have this friend. Because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes I include screen captures that they love me give me permission to include. But yeah, perfect. So we'll yeah. uh, we'll include links to your content in the show notes, and then you've also got some uh, paid courses available, correct? Well, I don't have a paid course, so I've I, I've um, I've done um, you know trainings. Uh, so Adobe Max is a is Adobe's big annual conference. Um, and I've talked for them a few times and I believe still, I haven't looked like this last you know, little while, but, um, during COVID Adobe max went virtual as, as so many things did. And so the cool thing is they made it free. So Adobe max became free for everyone and it was all virtual and all the, um, training pieces of that are all still available for free. So Adobe max, uh, you want to look back, not, so this is 2022 hasn't happened yet. Um, not teaching this year, didn't teach last year, but the two years prior. So I've got some courses there. Um, I've done some paid things through, through Kelby, uh, the Lightroom conference. Um, I, I taught that earlier this year. Um, and Photoshop world has been virtual. So that's all through Kelby stuff. Um, there's been another thing called the Photoshop summit. Um, and Lightroom Summit, and I've taught on those. Those are all, again, all virtual things, and those are out there um, on the web floating around. But the other thing I, I, I just finished, which I'm, I'm excited about, just came out, is a book. Um, it's The name of it is Lightroom Classic for Dummies, and I hate recommending that book to people because I feel like I'm insulting you when I say, this would be a great book for you, um, dummy. But uh, that is the title. <laughs> I didn't make it up. It's, you know, part of the whole Four Dummies universe of, of books. Um, and I, what I love about this book is it's, a, it's really the first book I ever wrote back on Lightroom 2, uh, way back when. And then I've updated it a couple times. And then most recently, just updated it right at the end of last year. So it, it is really up to date um, with the new stuff that came out um, at Adobe Max last year doesn't have um some of the anything that's come out this year just because it was already off to the presses at that point but um it's hard when you write a book uh in this day and age when software gets updated every couple months to have everything be right up to date to the moment you might install it but it's pretty darn all the all the important stuff uh you know is in there as well as a few chapters on how to get started with using the lightroom cloud version if you so choose it's totally optional mm -hmm. but you're paying for it, so hey, you might as well 
look into it since it's uh, part of that subscription that you're that you're paying every month. Before we get close to closing out with the new tools that are out there, I just kind of wanted to get your input for for the listener base as to which of those tools are going to benefit the wildlife photographer the most. And I, we've touched on a couple, but just some reinforcement, maybe, um, if you wouldn't mind. If you want to take advantage of the database side of things, that Lightroom Classic is, you know, as your home base, is just going to give you a tool that can help you from the moment you put your card in the computer or even on your mobile device if you use that ingestion method. Um, through making your selections, it's it can be so, so you know, some people will complain about the speed of Lightroom. That's fair. Um, that's often hardware dependent. Um, and we all have different experiences there based on how resource and um, empowered <laughs> our computers are these days. Um, there's a range on that. But in terms of just the workflow itself, it can help definitely be a more efficient workflow. And and some key points on that, on the import, is something like a metadata um, template that you can create that has your copyright and contact information. Uh, and you can also then leverage if you're embedding um, geolocation information, you know, as part of the either on the capture side or if you need to do it after the fact, if you're um, you know, using a different tool. If your camera doesn't include that automatically, you can absolutely do that. Lightroom has a map module. Uh, Lightroom Classic has a map module. So you can place those photos on a map uh, as part of that workflow, which I think could be really, really useful for a wildlife photographer. And then, you know, just for any photographer in general, there's some, assuming you're shooting in RAW, um, there's um, a, in the in the preferences of Lightroom Classic, as well as Camera Raw, they share the same preference in this regard for um, what's called the raw default. And this is probably one of the most important things people can do to save themselves some time using Camera Raw, Lightroom, or Lightroom Classic is uh, look into the raw default section. I actually, on Lightroom Killer Tips, I have a blog post on it, um, where you can have Lightroom Classic. There's one little setting you can change. Um, by default, it's called Adobe Defaults, and that will set the camera profile that determines the color rendering and tonality, you know, contrast, saturation of certain colors. Um, called Adobe Color. It's a it's a, it's a it's a starting point. We'll say that generously. Uh, it may not be your preferred starting point, which is the important part. So, in your camera, you might be choosing a certain picture style. Different camera companies call it something different, but generally the landscape, portrait, standard, faithful, vibrant, whatever those picture styles are in your camera. Um, that's the profile in Lightroom Classic. And so if you go into that raw default and change it from Adobe default to camera settings, then when your photo, your raw photo appears in Lightroom Classic, Lightroom will say, oh, this was shot on this camera, make and model. Uh, and it looks like it was using the landscape uh, profile. It will then use the camera matching profile that Lightroom Classic has for that camera instead of Adobe Color. And so already your photo might start to look more like it looked on the back of the camera and you won't have that experience of going, that doesn't look like it looked when I was standing there looking on the back of my camera, right? So that's just one little setting that just saves you from ever clicking, having to click that box every single time. 
If instead there is uh, other settings that you want to always in kind of embed in your workflow right out of the gate, you can customize that raw default even further using a preset that you create that you customize yourself that might include um, a specific profile. If you always use whatever profile is the one that makes you tingle, you know, you can, you can dial that one in all the time. If there are certain uh, settings for capture sharpening, uh, noise reduction, you can include that. Uh, lens profile correction and chromatic aberration reduction, you can include that. Although most mirrorless cameras, if you're shooting mirrorless these days, probably will have the lens profile correction enabled automatically already. But you can, you know, you can do all of these things and have that so that you don't even have to apply it. This isn't, this isn't applying a preset on import. This is setting your default to always just use these key settings. Uh, so that when your import is done, your photos are already processed up to that point and you don't have to redo that for that piece. Um, so those are the kind of advantages, I think, of this kind of workflow tool. Um, and then learning, um, there's a few key shortcuts, I think, for the kind of culling process, I think is really important, a place where people can get bogged down. Um, I have a, on Lightroom Killer Tips some, some posts on this about just learning you know, using I like using a binary system of flags, uh, so I'm not worrying about if something is a three versus a four versus a two. Uh, at, at that first ingestion point, I'm like, is this staying or going? You know, stay or go, stay or go, stay or go. Um, and then maybe there's a skip. I, I, I wrote about, you know, there's a skip feature um, using the keyboard shortcuts. So Lightroom Classic will automatically advance uh, if you have that turned on. So if you're using flags, which I like to do, you can use uh, the P, you know, key for the pick flag, X or reject. U is the shortcut for unflag, which is the state they come in as. No flag, unflag. But if you hit the U key in that process on auto advance, it'll skip ahead. So you can keep your hands on the keyboard and go pick, pick, pick. Hopefully, this is a fantasy. Pick, pick, pick. Uh, reject. And then you're like, oh, that fence sitter. You're like, ah. Like kind of reject, I can't reject it, but man, I can't really say it's a pick. And you're kind of going back and forth. Well, you can just hit the U key; it'll skip on ahead, and you can get through the rest of your set. Then you go back, going, "Okay, well, I, I got enough of that angle, or whatever. Uh, maybe that is a reject, or maybe it's like, okay, yeah, I'll keep it." And then you can go back and using the filtering system, which I haven't even talked about. So using that database, now that you've applied some metadata, you can filter what you're seeing based on the flag status. And now you're, you're not seeing any of your rejects anymore. They just disappear from view. They haven't been deleted. They're just no longer in your field of view. And now you're just looking at your picks and your skips. You can filter that to just show your unflagged ones. And now you've got just those few that you skipped. And now you can look at those with a more critical eye and make a better choice. So that's like using those tools. doesn't matter what type of photography. That's going to help everybody um, just to develop that kind of workflow and, and taking advantage of those keyboard shortcuts. Another great one is the letter Z. If you're in that grid view, if you press and hold the Z key, it'll zoom in to one-to-one. -one. You can check focus. You let go of the Z key, you'll jump right back into thumbnails and grid view. And you can kind of then use those other shortcuts, P, X, and U, to just kind of keep you moving through. So you're not just having to zoom in on everything one-to-one -one and then go to the next one, one-to-one, -one, and so on and so on. So those are the kind of things. Um, that I think uh, can really help speed someone up along that shouldn't really make you change your workflow, just hopefully make you speed up.
uh, speed up your workflow to get to the juicy parts, which is the editing part, which is what we want to do. Uh, and then maybe even the output part, which is probably the bread and butter part anyway. So I have so many people that need to just listen to that last five minutes. <laughs> like, like, there we go. I got, I got friends who are, oh, no, you haven't edited them yet. You haven't, oh, you haven't even gotten to them. Yet. Okay. Okay. I'm going to listen to that last five minutes again because there's two or three things there that I didn't even know and I'm not taking advantage of that I definitely will be changing like the auto advance and that's that's some cool stuff. So Yeah, there's the, the, those are the kind of those are the kind of efficiencies that are built. That whole product, Lightroom Classic, was built for no other purpose than digital photography workflow. That's it. It's not there to support, you know, com- uh, compositing images for fantasy. I mean, it's digital photography. That's it. That's its, that's its number one job. So it has a lot of ways you can leverage templates, presets, keyboard shortcuts um, that just really can f- just turbocharge that whole part of the workflow so that you can uh, reuse past work um, as in the form of a template or a preset uh, or just save time moving through uh, with some really key uh, shortcuts. Those are some great nuggets. All right. So say it again. Where can people find <laughs> these tips from you? Like where's the best where's the best way to get to your stuff? How do we find you? The best way to get the most free stuff uh in this in this vein is lightroomkillertips.com. It's not my blog, so Scott Kelby, this guy who, who owns runs uh Kelby one. Um it's his blog, but he lets me write on it once a week. Uh, and sometimes I do a few more than that. And, uh, and then he, of course, writes on it too. So you got all of everything that Scott puts on there, which is fantastic stuff. Um, and so that's all on there. It's all free. It goes back years and years and years. But, you know, the last couple of years there, you're going to get the, you know, the meat of what we we're just talking about here. Um, and then on there, there's links to all the other Kelby uh, online stuff. And so, um, go to go to Light and Killer Tips, and and that will you'll you'll find a blog post for everything I talked about. Absolutely. Plus whatever tonight. Plus yeah. whatever I come up with <laughs> for my post today. It's a good thing we had you on the podcast, so you didn't completely forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. Thank Except for tonight's good blog post, you, you with, so I was on this podcast with Bob Explorer. Let me tell you about these guys. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> You know, I, I hate to even wrap this one up because we could go on and on and on forever, but I know you've got a, you've got a blog post to write now. (laughs) And, uh, and obviously we want to, we want to respect your time, but I think, you know, workflow is one of the areas where everybody kind of has to develop it themselves. So if there can be, if there can be a shortcut to helping people do that, that that's the big reason I wanted to have you on tonight to, to discuss some of those things as well as, you know, sorting out who you're going to hang out with and who you're going to let cut the pizza. I'm glad we got that established <laughs> as well. I, I always say, I always tell people you probably can find more, you know, efficiencies to your current workflow than changing it over to a brand new one, just for the sake of changing it to a new one. Uh, if you're happy with your workflow and more importantly, happy with your output, God bless you. Keep going, keep, keep doing what you're doing and maybe find ways to do it better and faster. But if you're not happy with it or if you're frustrated with it, um, then maybe, yeah, maybe changing things up a little bit 
or just mod, you know, if you're using something already, you're just not really taking it to its full advantage, even if that's bridge camera raw in Photoshop. Um, yeah, take, spend some time. That's gonna, that's only gonna pay you dividends over, over years, um, of time. Don't just keep changing. You know, same thing with camera systems, you know, but they're all, you can't get a bad camera these days. I don't care what manufacturer is from. Uh, you buy a camera in the last, you know, five years, it's mm. going to be a great camera. Uh, <laughs> even used. There's some great, great deals on used DSLRs yeah, right sure. now, uh, that, that are fantastic. So, um, and, 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 and the lenses that go with them. So, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of great, uh, great stuff out there, but learn, learn it, you know, use it to your, to its greatest capability, whatever those tools are. Um, and you'll have more time to create more images, spend more time outside looking at wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on and, and for freeing up the time for us to join us here tonight. And, you know, again, I'm sorry I missed you in Wyoming, but I'm glad that we were able to catch up and we'd love to to get these classes out. Now, just for clarification, Kelby is a Kelby one is a subscription base, but it opens up uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of classes for people. Um, so it's a great, they do have a free membership, uh, tier that does give you access to some, some mm -hmm. online classes for free. Um, and maybe some other, some other things, but then there's uh, a couple other levels of which that will open up more classes to you as well as a monthly magazine that I write in, uh, as well as others, <laughs> the, the Photoshop user magazine. Uh, covers Photoshop and Lightroom Classic and the Lightroom Cloud, and and also third-party plugins for for those tools uh, are are included in there every month. Um, and then there's a, a whole community, Kelby One community forum that's really a great uh, bunch of people in there, very knowledgeable, very friendly uh, people to photographers of every, of every level. So yeah, so that's all part of the Kelby world. And then they do online conferences that are separate, but. Uh, but yeah, that's good all place that. to start. But the Lightroom Killer Tips is Perfect. totally free. Hopefully, we can do this again. Again, maybe we can get some more specific questions from some of the listeners, and you know, maybe have some more uh, uh, time to speak about some of these things in the future. Uh, absolutely, I'm happy to. If you get if you get any questions back at all, please, uh, I'm happy to cool. come back and, and try and answer them. Well, thanks a lot, Rob, and and thank you all for listening to another episode of Wild and Exposed Podcast. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed Podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.